0: Come on, how amazing is that scripture? Amen? Yes. Amen. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Absolutely extraordinary. It's good to see you all. Good morning, everyone. morning. Good morning. All right. Um, grab your Bibles if you've got them. We will be uh, having a look at Romans 8 shortly. Um, but I just, if we can bring up, thank you. Didn't even need to ask. Look at that, Grace. Amazing. Thank you. I um, want to talk to you about what we're up to. Um, I actually want to ask you this question first. Um, do you feel confident in your faith? Do you feel confident in your faith, in your Christian faith? Perhaps for many of us, if I was to sit down and chat with you uh, in my study and just ask you that question, I expect many people would say, sometimes. Is that not true? Sometimes I do, and sometimes I might feel a bit wobbly, Matt, if I'm honest. Me too. Me too. But using LICC's resources, we're going to go on a Lent devotional journey together um, that's going to help us and help you and me to grow deep faith confidence that lasts from Sunday into the rest of your week. At least that's the plan. It says here in the blurb, so that we can boldly join in God's work right where we are. It sounds like Star Trek, doesn't it? <laughs> we shall boldly go, but they're right, they're saying, come on. This confidence that you feel on a Sunday, we want that to go through the week into your front lines, the places where you work, rest, and play. And so throughout Lent, every day, there is a Bible reading you can uh, uh, join with all of us, and I'd love as many of us to do it as you can, um, it's from LICC, and we all read it together at home. Now, you can get it two ways. You can get an email, um, details of which are on a refresh email. Or, if you've got um, a phone, you may have the Holy Bible app, if you haven't. I recommend it. It's a good one. Um, uh, pretty good book, worth reading. Um, and... Uh, it's called the U version. If on the U version you go to the plans and you type in LICC, London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, just LICC, confidence, it will come up. If you haven't started already, don't worry. Um, we're one week in, but we've, we can start today and you can keep going. Join us. That would be really, really good. We're also studying it in our life groups, um, which would be fantastic. And on Sundays, we're going to have a bit of a deeper explore through uh, a sermon series as well. Uh, on confidence in our faith. Confidence, the sermon series are this, or the uh, things that we're going to be looking at, the six key ways that we can grow in confidence as we move towards Easter. Confidence through community, through compassion, through consistency, through competence, through courage. And today's is all about confidence through being convinced. In our reading, Paul makes what I think is an extraordinary statement an absolute he says this phrase for i am convinced apostle paul romans 8 that absolutely nothing will be able to separate us from the love of god or can separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus what a declaration paul wants us to know that he is 100 percent certain about this. Totally and utterly sure that this is true. I wonder when was the last time you were 100% convinced about something? When was the last time you were 100% convinced? Because being 100% convinced can be a rare thing I find in life. Um, Because it only takes one little sentence from somebody just to cause you to wobble, doesn't it? And it's this sentence are you sure? And you go, I don't know. Remember this guy? Here he comes. Are you sure? <laughs> Do you remember who wants to be a millionaire? You have to go up and try and get as much money as you can. And there'd be some really easy questions where you absolutely know. You know what is two times six? I think it's twelve. But are you sure? Well, I don't know now. Hang on a minute. Get your fingers up. Are you sure? If you get it wrong, you're going to lose 31,000. Hang on, it's just six and six. I'm not not sure. It can feel like that with our faith sometimes. One minute we can be utterly certain. We're at church. We're worshipping. Jesus' presence is with us all around. The encouragement of folks filled with faith really lifts us. We can feel excited. The next minute when we're away from church, we can be on our front lines, be that work with friends, at the pub, at a football match, at the school gates, whatever it might be, and our confidence can begin to wobble. See, everyday front lines can be an amazing place, an opportunity for fruitful living for the gospel, for Jesus, but it can be those places that we can feel a little bit more wobbly and our confidence in our faith can be diminished a bit sometimes. But I want to say to you, you know, you're not alone if that resonates with you. One of the greatest Christian writers and thinkers of the last century, C.S. Lewis. Anyone heard of C.S. Lewis? Absolutely. The guy who wrote The Lion, The Witch and Wardrobe, The Chronicles of Narnia. He was an extraordinary um, uh, intellect, really, and he rejected Christianity for much of his early life. Because he wasn't convinced by it. He needed to be assured in what he was putting his trust into. And he was having none of it. Um, And he fought against it, if you like. But he kept looking into it. And his friends kept talking to him about it. And he researched it. And he talked about it. And in the end, he felt he had absolutely no other choice. He calls himself the reluctant convert. He stands before God and goes, You are God. And I can't do anything about that. And so I'm going to follow you. And he gives his life to God. And from that moment, he was totally convinced that Christianity was true, that Jesus Christ was Lord and God. He weighed it all up, utterly persuaded, and writes some of the most fantastic apologetics thats defence of the Christian faith. Why it's reasonable to believe in Jesus, to be a Christian, because it is. Um, And some of them you might have read, Mere Christianity, if you haven't, it's a fantastic book, or Surprised by Joy, which talks about his conversion. But even this great, mighty intellect, who was utterly sure, um, and had reasoned it all through, says this, a really interesting quote. Alone among unsympathetic companions, I hold certain views and standards timidly, half ashamed to avow them, and half Doubtful if they can, after all, be right. But put me back among my friends, and in half an hour, in ten minutes, these same views and standards become once more indisputable. Interesting, just an observation he made. We can all feel a little bit like that sometimes. But the truth is, even in those moments when we might feel a bit wobbly about our faith, one thing you can be sure about is that God hasn't changed one bit. He's still the same glorious, powerful, wonderful, majestic, loving saviour he's always been. He's still the king of the giants. He's still the king of the... Light. <laughs> That's going to be in my head. Thank you, Mark, for that. Um, <laughs> but he is. He's still the supreme commander of the universe. He is Lord. He is God. He is king. The power. Kingdom. the Glory. All belongs to him, it 's just in that moment we 're wobbling a little bit. But we can learn to be more confident in those situations. and that 's what this Lent series is all about. We are called disciples. It means we 're learners. It 's how Jesus invited us not just to become a Christian, stay static. The whole idea has always been that all of us, no matter how old we are, how young we are in faith, how many decades we've been following Jesus, we've got more to learn. And in this area, I want to say to you, if you're feeling like, oh, that's a bit me, I'm not very confident when I'm at work or whatever, I wobble and doubt sometimes, it's okay. Don't write yourself off, because I believe Jesus in this series, if we let him and ask him, we're open to the work of his spirit within us he will make us more confident he will rise our confidence and faith and trust in him even in situations which in the past may have caused us to wobble so this morning's one that we want to talk about is this having confidence by being convinced but I've put it this way because my first question was can I really be convinced or certain about something that's called Faith, aren't those two words contradictory a little bit? Do you understand what I'm saying? One's like, well it's faith in something that you can't know and one's confidence in being convinced of something you can. Well, no, because actually the Bible says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Bible's quite happy with that tension, do you notice that? Faith is being absolutely certain and assured about something that you're hoping might happen um, and that you cannot see. What? There's this extraordinary tension, but that's what Christian faith is. It's not, um, it, it is about taking this courageous step of belief, but it's not a rash step off the edge of a cliff just hoping that we might fly or hoping that the land might be jelly. It's not. That, and it's not as strange actually as it first sounds, this tension, because if I was to abseil, and I'm glad to see Chris is here, Chris Bartlett's here somewhere this morning, he was earlier, Um, marvellous, he knows all about abseiling, Uh, I'm sure you could help me Chris, but I would abseil if Chris took me up a mountain, but I'd also ask him about what he was doing, and I'd check the ropes, And I'd check the straps and I'd ask him, is this the right thing I should have on me, the right clip? Have you done this before? Would be one of my questions. He'd say, yes, Matthew, don't worry. Actually, maybe he hasn't done abseiling, but I'm sure he could do it anyway. Um, Have you done abseiling, Chris? Yes, I thought you might. Um, And I'd ask him all these questions and then I'd take a step off the side of the cliff. I'm still taking a step of faith, but I'm convinced and confident because I've checked the straps, there are reasons why I can take that step of faith. Because there is a good argument that it's going to hold my weight. And whilst putting your faith in Jesus does involve mystery and trust, and it really does, the more you become a Christian, the more questions you get, and the glory and wonder of God is so mysterious in one way. But it's also rational and reasonable, It's a rational and reasonable response to his self-revelation as the loving King and Lord of this life and all the universe. And there are very good reasons why anyone who realised who God is, who Jesus really is, would most definitely do well to put their trust in him and be convinced that he's the safest hands to be held in. There are plenty of ways that as Christians actually we can check the straps, if you like, that help bring us confidence in our faith. So let's just quickly check some of the straps, if you like, this morning. Things that reassure us and bring us confidence in our faith. The first two are these sort of general revelations, if you like, creation and eternity. Um, God's revelation of his glory in the creation all around is extraordinary. We're, we're surrounded, are we not, by the most beautiful and stunning life that we could ever imagine. I don't mean easy life, but there is such beauty in the creation. Over two million species of animals and insects on this planet. Can you believe it? That's a species, they're all different. From the beauty of a ladybird, that little thing that captures the imagination of a child, this gorgeous, shiny red thing. It's absolutely extraordinary. Right the way up to the glory of some of the biggest mammals and animals, the whales or the giraffes. And by the way, if you've not been to the West Midlands Safari Park, I commend it to you. We went there on the, uh, the half term and there's nothing more uh, simultaneously terrifying and hilarious... Uh, than a giraffe sticking its head through your car window and trying to eat what you've got in your hand. That is something I recommend to everyone. Best £20 you can spend. Literally, huge shots into the window. Hello, I'll eat that. You're like, this is amazing. But on top of the animals, the living and moving uh, creatures, there are flowers, hundreds of thousands of them, each with intricacy and scent. And trees and grasses and corner and the creation itself, the rivers and the seas, the mountains, the valleys. And that's just our planet. We look up, we see sunsets and the moon and the stars and the dark night that leave us in awe and wonder at the enormity and the glory of our universe. And the Bible says that this is all declaring the glory of God. A maker, a designer behind it all. Nothing didn't create everything. He did. And it's glorious. It's glorious. The more we discover about the universe, the oceans, the animal kingdom, genetics, DNA, science, quantum physics, the more glorious we realise it all is and therefore he really is. And whilst we can know about God in this way, it's still not possible to know him personally this way. But it is one of the many straps we can check that help us on our way. And another strap we can check is this yearning for eternity inside each one of us. But even though this can be such a beautiful life, not always, but it can be filled with such beauty and riches, that there's this feeling in all of us that we were still made for something more. Non-Christians will say it as much as Christians. Nothing here truly satisfies that deepest sense within. The Bible says God put that feeling in us. It says that God put eternity in the hearts of mankind. Really, really interesting we might be drawn to the one who made us for a purpose and made us to spend eternity with him. C.S. Lewis, another quote from this fascinating guy. I've been enjoying reading him this week. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Isn't that glorious? There are other straps we can check that aren't just general revelation, if you like. We can look at this extraordinary book the scriptures the bible and although written by human hands inspired by the holy spirit it documents the testimonies of people throughout the millennia who have not just heard about god but have encountered him met him seen him intervene in their lives in miraculous and amazing ways and this book has changed billions of lives for the better it's brought hope and comfort and teaching and laws and wisdom and insight beyond any other it has been studied scrutinized pulled apart tested more than any other book and it still stands as the word of god that brings life and light to a hurting world unlike anything else ever can or will and if its historical accuracy we're after and don't just assume that everything in here is a scientific manual you've got poetry you've got metaphor you've got history but if its historical accuracy that we're after you just have to look at the archaeology when they keep digging up things from foundations of buildings mentioned in here right through the little seals of leaders of the times absolutely extraordinary this book is rooted in real people it talks about real lives but none more so than the historical Jesus because that Jesus existed folks is beyond doubt not just the scriptures. Uh, testified to this but many early Roman and Jewish historians wrote about him not all of them liked him but they still were like this guy existed he was a troublemaker all of them point to this extraordinary miracle worker who divided opinion who was crucified but whose followers then said they'd met him that he'd risen again and would not drop that story they would not drop that belief for anything When we turn to the New Testament accounts, we discover the writers were at pains to get the facts right. These were not made-up stories to make them look good. These were historic accounts that were painstakingly recorded and preserved and passed on. They didn't airbrush, I love it, the writers didn't airbrush out the mistakes. They didn't make themselves look brave or strong. In fact, most of the time we realise the disciples look quite stupid or foolish, don't they? but they wanted to write what actually happened because they're real people and they said this happened and then i did this and i don't know why but i did do that but then jesus did this luke says this at the beginning of his gospel i myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught these weren't authors creating a fiction but these were historical eyewitnesses willing to give up their lives to be persecuted give up safety and home even to be tortured and crucified themselves, because what they'd seen was true. They weren't making it up, and they recorded it down. C.S. Lewis says this, I'm perfectly convinced that whatever the Gospels are, they are not legends. I've read a great deal of legend, and I'm quite clear that they're not that sort of thing. Friends, Jesus Christ is not a legend. He was a historical figure who lived and breathed and taught and worked miracles in the sight of all. We can be convinced of that. But the final strap, if you like, of these that I want us to check is the ministry of Jesus. The strap that can give us confidence. For we can be convinced that he was hated and persecuted. Not because he was a fraud. because he spoke truth that offended the powerful and comforted the poor his teachings are still the most profound and inspiring of any human who has ever lived just read them they totally and utterly make us better people and a better world when we follow them he was not just a great moral teacher though and he was not just a worker of miracles and he was not just the most extraordinary example of how you can love the broken and the poor and reach out where everyone else had given up on them. He was. But he was more than that because he made the most outrageous claim of all. That he himself was one with the Father. That he himself was there before time began. That he himself is God. Come to save the world he so loves. And that claim cannot simply be ignored in perhaps C.S. Lewis's most famous quote, Um, he makes this argument, either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse, a liar. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a liar, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Let us not come with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher, or simply just a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Friends, we can be certain that Jesus claimed to be God. That means he was either absolutely right or absolutely wrong on that one. And the truth is, when he hung on the cross suffering and spat at, mocked and abused, it looked like his claims to be the son of God were indeed utterly wrong. And yet, even there as he hung there we hear him say something that is beyond my comprehension as a human simply says this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Despite the agony and the shame, Jesus knew what he was doing. This was not a mistake. He was God. And he had come to seek and save the lost. And he knew that could only be done by taking the blame, the dirt, the pride, the sin, the horror and mess of humanity on himself, on his perfect self, and dying in our place sinless one becoming sin for us the Bible says. The one who had everything, giving it all up to save us, the Bible teaches us. In fact, not just us corporately but me, personally and you, personally C.S. Lewis says this He died not for men, forgive the uh, male language here, read humanity or, or humans but for each man if each man had been the only man made he would have done no less if you had been the only one he would have gone to that cross for you sinless one hanging on that real cross in a real moment in history so that you and i can be saved and set free from our mess today To many at the time and still it seems like utter foolishness and yet this was always God's plan. Prophesied throughout the scriptures, you could see it all there. That he himself would come and suffer and that by his stripes we would be healed. Friends, we have so many straps we can check on to give us confidence, what is this unbelieving this? All begins to help us to be convinced, creation and eternity, the wisdom and validity of scriptures, the profound and life-changing teaching and ministry of Jesus, the historical Jesus who really existed, the wonder of the cross. But perhaps the thing that strengthens us in our certainty most of all is not a thing or a concept at all, but it's a person. For Jesus isn't just a concept. He's alive the risen Jesus Jesus did not stay dead on the 3rd day he rose again and this is what the New Testament writers bang on about more than anything this is what the early believers wanted everyone to know he is risen he's alive he died we saw it they stabbed him he Finished breathing, he was buried in a tomb, but he is alive. We cannot tell you all of how this works. We haven't worked it all out yet, but he ate fish. He was with us, and he's Jesus. And this has begun the beginning of a whole new resurrection life for everyone who believes in him. He's alive. He defeated death. He busted apart. This historical event, this real event, this not fantasy made up event, this thing that happened, that people witnessed, that saw, they recorded, changed their lives forever. But they're not alone. Because billions of people since have met with the risen Jesus and had their lives changed forever. And I'm one of them. You see, when ordinary, frail human beings like you and me encounter for ourselves the eternal, glorious person, the wonderful, beautiful person of the living, risen Jesus in our own lives, when we begin to comprehend and realise and receive his forgiveness and we experience his immeasurable love personally for me and for you, well then we realise that our confidence isn't just in my head knowledge or in historical facts or in my own ability to really believe really hard. My confidence is in a living and conquering God who is absolutely wonderful beyond my comprehension and he's with me right here now. He's with you right here today. This isn't about sentiment and feelings Feelings come and go. It's lovely when we feel the presence, when we're excited, but that's not all the time. This is about surrender and trust, a leap of faith, but not into the abyss, but into the loving arms of a living God who catches us, who calls us his child, who will never let go of our hand. This is a relationship with someone who lives with us by his Holy Spirit, who strengthens us, guides us, teaches us, who's changing us and shaping us from the inside out so that we might not just become less of who we are, but actually become the fullness of who he created us to be. Meeting the risen Jesus for the first time is like waking up from a long sleep. Everything's changed and we spend the rest of our lives discovering more of his glory and his beauty and his wonder and his love. C.S. Lewis put it this way, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. When you've met the risen Jesus, everything changes. And you may say, Matt, I still struggle. Yes, that's okay, it's normal. Matt, I don't always feel it fully. No, that's okay. Your faith isn't just in your feelings or how you're doing. Your faith is in him who will never fail you, who holds you in his hand, the safest hands of all. And this is what utterly transformed Paul. Paul. I'm going to whiz this one in five minutes. Watch this. Yeah, right. The apostle and writer of our passage today, Romans 8. It's widely considered. And don't worry, I'm not going verse by verse through Romans 8. That would be a good one. We'd have another couple of hours. It'd probably be worth it. But let's not do it now. I'll let you have some dinner. It's fine. Such an incredible chapter. It is considered perhaps Paul's high point. Maybe even scripture's high point, if you like. Because he's here telling every single Christian why they can be certain that their relationship with God is secured and settled for all eternity. Why they can have utter confidence in their faith. It's absolutely nothing to do with your own efforts to feel something or understand something. It's all to do with what Jesus has done, what he continues to do in us and through us by the power and gift of his Holy Spirit living within us. He begins this stonking chapter with this phenomenal absolute. There is now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Absolutely none, Paul says. Because Jesus came and did for us what the law simply couldn't do in us. We tried, but we always failed. But Christ never failed. He fulfilled the law perfectly. And then he became a sin offering, the Bible says. A complicated language, I understand that. But it's basically saying he took it all on himself. All of it, all the mess and pain, every stain and failure, he took on his perfection. And then, not only did he deal with this, but he then gave us his Holy Spirit to live within us so that we might have a brand new life. And he tells us in this chapter that the Spirit leads us and guides us and gives us this life. And just as he raised Jesus to new life, so the Spirit will one day raise us to resurrection life as well. And so profound is this change that's happened in us, even if we don't always comprehend it or feel it, that Paul says we're now adopted into God's family. You, if you trust Jesus, are a child of God. Come on. It's extraordinary. When John tries to write about it in his epistles, he gets overexcited. He's like, hang on a minute, see the love the Father's lavished upon us, that we might be called children of God. Me, broken, rubbish, silly old man, a child of God, yes. Loved, delighted, cared for man, held in his hands. A child of God, legally, permanently, forever. Children of God, utterly loved by the Father, able to call him Daddy, the Bible says, Abba. The word, the Aramaic word of of little children calling out to their dad, Daddy, Daddy Abba. You can speak to him like that. What? Because we're now his children, we've become heirs along with Jesus. Do you know what this means? We share in his suffering, but it also means we share in his reward. He's done it. This isn't us. This isn't, oh, I get lots of reward. Jesus, his grace. But he shares it all with us. And these sufferings that we share in do hurt. Paul knows that. Don't be surprised when life as a Christian is not easy. There's a cost to following the one who was hated and crucified. He told us that. They hated me, they'll hate you too. And yet this cost is nothing compared to the glory that we revealed in us, Paul says. In fact, all of creation is now groaning and waiting and yearning for not the day when we float up to heaven and go, bye bye earth, that's enough of that. But for the day when we will rise in glory in a new body, just like Jesus did, and all creation will be set free from its bondage and made new. This is the great Christian hope, the gospel of the scriptures that Jesus is doing and working out. See, I'm making all things new. But until that day, the Spirit is interceding for us in prayer and working all things for our good. It's an extraordinary chapter. This is the good news we can be confident in. It's so huge, it's so life changing, it's so wonderful that Paul writes this. And I love this phrase. What then shall we say in response to these things? Boom! Why do we, should we all just go home? It's too much. Like, what has Jesus done? It's incredible. What can we say in response to these things? Well, Paul finishes by asking two momentous and thunderous questions, and he answers them. And this is where I'm going to land, two questions for us that Paul asks. And the first one is this, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, just comprehend it, take it in for a moment. If God is for you in this way, He has done all of this for you and continues to do this who can ever stand against you if he was willing to give up his son Paul says do you really think he will ever let you go or hold anything back from you now if God has done and is doing all this for you what earthly or spiritual thing can possibly be against you when the Lord of all heaven and earth is for you There is no, oh, are you sure he's for me? God gave everything for you. Are you sure? Yes. Yes. He gave his son for you and for me. There's no doubt at all. And there's no one, Paul says, who can bring a charge against you now. You can ignore the liar when he says, "Eh, "Ah, but what about that? When God finds out about that? No, no charge is against you now. No one who can condemn you Jesus himself, Paul says, the Lord of Lords, died and rose again and is in heaven right now interceding on your behalf. It's extraordinary. And in the light of all this, Paul asks his second momentous question Who then shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? And he begins to give us all the reasonable and understandable possibilities. Things that may conceivably lead a person to be convinced that God is not for us and that he does not love us. Things that make us go, are you sure this is true? He says, trouble, hardship, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. They're not glib things, they're not minor things. These are things that are utterly serious. Life for many Christians around the world is like being led like a lamb to the slaughter, as Paul says in this passage. And all of us know, to some extent, suffering, hardship, pain and struggle. And yet Paul says, no, no, no. Even in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. Wow. Because of Jesus, because of what he's done, what he's doing in us by his spirit, not only can we have victory over the negative effects of these things to to dismay us or to steal our salvation, not only is that never going to happen, but they can actually cause us to grow in confidence in, in God. Even in them, God is faithful and we can experience his unfailing love. And I don't say that lightly or tritely. It is the promise of the Gospels. It is the promise of God. The world and the enemy throws its worst at Christians. But we're not just conquerors or nikeo, which is the Greek word. We are more than conquerors. Hyper nikeo. Isn't that great? Take the word conqueror and just add the word hyper on the end. You're a hyper conqueror. Come on. Because of Jesus, the one who loves us and is for us. And I'm really humbled, I am going to read it and we're going to finish with a song now. Um, But I'm so humbled when I hear of brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering so appallingly for their faith. And yet they do not give up, folks. Instead, they grow even stronger. I find it hard to comprehend, but it amazes me and it humbles me. Catherine Morgan shared this report from Igor, the General Secretary of the Ukrainian Baptist Union. He said this to church leaders and uh, christians who attended the churches in general are the largest aid agency in the country in ukraine and they are exhausted and tired and asked that we would implore god to move faster in bringing a just peace when asked about the life of the baptist churches igor said that of about 2400 churches several hundreds had been lost in occupied territory of the rest about half the people have left as refugees but and here's the hyper nikeo here's the more than conquerors The buildings are full each Sunday and about 3,000 people have been baptised in the last six months. Isn't it extraordinary? And I don't take that lightly. I don't say that lightly. I am humbled when I hear that. Because it's unimaginable what so many are going through. And so we come back to where we started and we realise why Paul was able to say this. For I am convinced. I am convinced convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Isn't it an extraordinary gospel? Isn't what God has done for us unbelievably wonderful, beyond our comprehension? And however you're doing, folks, I just want to say to you, is there something that is troubling you in this moment, in this season? Maybe it's held all through your life, something about life or health or death. Maybe it's a principality or a power. Maybe it's an authority. Maybe it's violence or war. Whatever it might be, I simply want to say to you, God is for you. God is for you. And this thing cannot separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And of that, you can be convinced. Shall we take a moment to pray? King Jesus, you are so worthy of our praise and our adoration. You are so worthy of our trust and our leap of faith into your arms. King Jesus, this morning, I pray if there's anyone here who has not yet leaped into your arms, Lord, call them this morning. Do the miracle of salvation. And call their name and let them leap, Lord, I pray. And for those that have been struggling and those feeling weak, And those feeling worried about whether they're confident or not, Lord, remind them it's not about clever answers or clever words. It's about trusting and knowing that you are good, that you are for us, and that if you are for us, no one can be against us, and that nothing we go through will ever separate us from your love. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we praise you this morning. Our Lord and our King. Amen.